the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, and also verse 14 and 18. And when you find it, would you please stand? Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with the God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of me. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No one had ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again before Your throne of grace asking for your aid here in understanding and in application. Lord, I ask that you enable me to deliver the message you would have delivered. Lord, let it be in power that your word goes forth so that we are truly changed by your sanctifying truth. Grant that we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of you and again, may all that's done here be for your glory. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Well, we begin a, a new study this morning in the book of John, as you can see. And... Um, there's a lot that could be said uh, by way of introduction. Really, I'm, I'm going to try to um, deal with some of the uh, unique aspects of, of uh, John's account and so forth as we move through the book. Uh, what we are going to do this morning, I do hope to highlight a couple of the main, uh, main themes. Um, John gives us a prologue here, verses 1 through 18, his own prologue to the rest of of the uh, of the story, what we call the gospel, it's an, uh, an account of the life of Jesus Christ, or or let's just say it maybe um, in more familiar words. This is a story of Jesus, as is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, but from a different perspective. And John sets that up here in these first eighteen verses. Now there are a couple of particular things I want to focus in on this morning, and that's the reason. Um, that David just read the passages that he read, but we'll come back and fill in the gaps, Lord willing, tonight. Uh, this morning, uh, mainly I want our focus to be on um, who Jesus is and why He has come. This will, of course, encompass John's main reason, main purpose for writing. So that's what I want to kind of focus in on um, and that really comes to light in the verses that, uh, that David just read. So, boy, a lot here. So let's dive in, all right? Um, first of all, um, I want to I deal with this word a little bit that, that John uses in verse 1 and the way in which he uses it and the reason for his use of it. And that's the word, word. Okay, in the Greek... 
Um, it's, it is logos. If you, if you wrote it in our letters, it would, it would look like our word logos, um, L-O-G-O-S, logos. In the beginning was, verse 1, in the beginning was the logos. And the logos was with God, and the logos was God. So I want to talk a little bit about that, and also a couple different verbs that John uses here. And I'm, I'm, I just think this is helpful. I'm not trying to be too technical, but I do think this is helpful. But, but the, the main thing, again, that we, that we want to see here is that what's happening here is a fulfillment of God's redemptive plan for mankind. So again, just, just to emphasize, this is the story of Jesus, who He is and why He has come, and how He has come even. So, so again, verse 1. As John, it, apparently, as John as, as is writing these words, he has a couple of Old Testament passages in view. Probably many, but in particular, a couple that I think are obvious here, and we'll try to show that as we go. But the first one being Genesis 1, 1. It's no coincidence that John starts his gospel account with the very same phrase that you will find if you go back to Genesis 1, 1. And the reason for that is, uh, is in part, is because he's talking about the same reference point. In the beginning. That is, it's not just any beginning. We use that a lot. You know, we talk about the beginning of our own life or, you know, go back a little over 200 years, the beginning of our country, um, the beginning of the modern era. I mean, you you can use that that term in in all uh, sorts of references, but he's got a particular point here in mind, and it is the beginning of of reality as we know it. The beginning of space and time. The beginning of creation. The beginning of the universe. That beginning where God created all things. And we're going to see that in particular when we get to verse 3 and, uh, and deal with that a little more. And I'm, I am going to primarily focus in on verse 1, uh, 14 and 18 this morning. Um, so we'll, we'll probably talk a little more about verse 3 through 5 tonight and then the rest of the prologue. Um, just be some mentions of it this morning. So that's the beginning he has in mind. When God created everything. When everything that we know in our existence became. That's... That's one of the ways that John puts it here. So the verb, one of the verbs that I was talking about. He, he has this contrast between was, just, just the idea of, of just existing, and becoming. So in the beginning, was, that's the other verb, two different verbs in the Greek, and, and of course expressed or translated two different ways in the English as well. In the beginning was the Word. So what John is saying is, you go back to the beginning, Genesis 1-1, when everything that we know became, and I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, matter, but 
even time and space, every, everything that we know of in our existence came to be. It became, it was created, it was made. You go back to that point and John says there was something, or in reality someone, that when you go back to that beginning point, there was something that already existed. Someone who already existed. Now we know who that is. You go back to Genesis 1.1 and the same concept is put forward there. In the beginning, God created. So when you go to the very beginning of everything else, God already is. Or to use um, the terminology here, He already was. When everything else became, God already was. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's where everything else comes into play. But God already was. And here, John, referencing the Word, says, in the beginning was the Word. So again, same reference point. When everything else became, the Word already was. So you, so you go back to that starting point, and there you find already in existence the Word, the Lagos. Why does John use the word word? It's, it's, it's similar to, to our English word word, W-O-R-D, in that it's, it's very common. Its usage is very common. And it's used in some different ways. Why would John use it here to begin telling the story of Jesus? Well, there may, again, be many reasons. I want to point out a couple that I, that I think. Um, I'm going to give you two, and I, and I want to lay um, heavier stress on the second one. One, in ancient Greek philosophy, the term logos was a, a way of describing what they called the, the divine principle, the something out there that is responsible for everything else. And they didn't usually think of it in, in terms of a person. They think of it just as many people do today in terms of an energy or a force. It's the divine principle through which everything else came into being and by which everything else is kept on being. I know that's not grammatically correct, but <laughs> it's a way I think to communicate it. So, in other words, everything comes to be and everything is sustained by the Lagos. Now, there, of course, and especially in philosophy, if you know anything about philosophy, you know there's a lot of speculation involved. So, so of course, they, they had problems defining the Lagos, and there were different ideas about what the Lagos exactly, what exactly is it, and what, how exactly that, does it function. And it was, again, speculative, because it wasn't something that you could just say, well, here it is. You know, you could just show it on show-and-tell day at, at school, but I, I do think that may in part 
Like I say, I'm going to put less, less emphasis on this reason. But I, but I do think that may be in part the reason that the Holy Spirit chose to use this word through the pen of the Apostle John. Because in the Greco-Roman world, it was already used in that, in that way of, of, of the ultimate cause, the origin and perhaps the sustainer of, of everything else that exists. And so John is saying, yes, you know, in the beginning was the Lagos, and then he's going to go on to say who, not what, by the way, but who the Lagos is. It's not George Lucas's force or something like that. <laughs> Far better, all right? But there's another reason, and I think probably... Um, um, this is even stronger reason. Because in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which first century Jews would have been familiar with, it's probably the one that many of them read. Yes, they uh, spoke Hebrew, but Greek was the common language of the empire. And it was the trade language. You know, they had to, they had to know Greek um, in order to do business and so forth uh, many times. And they probably, in many of the synagogues, were accustomed to reading what we call the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And one reason we say that is because it is quoted several times in the New Testament. In other words, if you look at the, the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament... Oftentimes, the, 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 uh, the, the language, the structure, the translations are closer to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, than they are the Hebrew text. So it, it seems to be the case that that was in common use among the Jews. Now, what, why does that matter here? Well, because the term lagos was, was used often to represent the word of the Lord. So, just to, I'll just give you a couple examples. There are many, but I'm just going to give you a couple of references. You can look at First Chronicles 22.8, for example, where it said that the word of the Lord came to David. There he's giving him an ex- explanation of why he will not um, be permitted to build a temple. And then Jeremiah, for example, speaking of his own calling and, uh, and, and his first... Um, um, Words given to him by the Lord. Jeremiah 1.2, Jeremiah 1.4, Jeremiah 1.11, Jeremiah 1.18. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And this is the term lagos. So in other words, in the, in the Hebrew context, in the Hebrew mindset, it has to do with revelation from God. God making something known. And another reason, and this just kind of goes hand in hand, I said too, maybe you may want to put this as number three or, or just kind of <laughs> put it under one of the others, but you think about the, the term, even in our, in our own language, just the word word, this would apply to logos or word, what, what is it? it? One way of describing it would be self-expression, right? Self-expression. There's one translation that 
does John 1, 1 that way, translates it that way. In the beginning was the self-expression. The idea being the self-expression of God. And, and the self-expression expression was with God and the self-expression was God. And then through him all things were made and so on and so forth. He, self-expression became flesh and dwelt among us. So, so that's a description of what, I think a good description of what word is. It, now we use words, for example, to communicate, to express ourselves and to communicate something. So again, you think of that in terms of Jeremiah saying, the word of the Lord came to me and then said thus and so. Well, God is communicating something there to Jeremiah. He's expressing, God is expressing things about His own character and will. So that's, that's how the, the Hebrew mind would have thought of the term as they read their Greek Old Testaments and read about the Lagos coming to Jeremiah or to David or whoever it was. It's revelation from God. And so, in, so it, all of that, just to say that this is a term very familiar to them. And John is saying, in the beginning was the Word. That is, when everything else became, the Word was already in existence. The self-expression of God. The divine principle. The revelation of God. Already was. Already was in existence. Now, he says something interesting here. And John, at times, gets very explicit. I told you this is a story of Jesus. Well, John... It's very explicit sometimes about the identity of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Now he gives us a couple of things here. He was with God. Pros is the preposition there. The idea is face-to-face. In the beginning, when everything else became, there already was. Already you find in existence. If you go back to that reference point, you find already in existence the Word, the, the Logos. And of course, the implication is because He was not made. Because He's eternal. And He's already in existence. And He is... Face to face, that is the Logos, is face to face with God. He's with God. So there's a relationship brought to the, to the front there. The Word, the Logos, and God. Face to face. In the beginning. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. There was God, and there face to face with God was the Logos. In other words, what John is saying, there was already an existing relationship between the Logos and God, the Creator of all. When everything else did not exist, and then suddenly it did exist, because it came into being at God's command, the Logos, the Word, already was and already existed in relationship with God. But it gets even more interesting. 
<laughs> not only was the Word already there in the beginning, and not only was the Word face to face with God, but John says the Word, the Logos, was God. Now, the word order is reversed from ours, and the emphasis is on the word God there. God was the Word. Or, for uh, explanation purposes, you could, you could say it this way. The Word was divine. That's what John is saying. He's telling us something about the identity of the Logos. About His nature, about His character. The Word was divine. That is, He's deity, He's God. He was in the beginning. He was in the beginning face to face with God. He was in the beginning God. Now, let's go back just for a second to the two verbs. Was and Became. Alright, in the beginning, when everything else became or came into being, here's what we're told about the Logos. First of all, He was, that is in the beginning, He already existed. Secondly, He was face to face with God. So you go back to that reference point when everything else is just now coming into being. He was already in existence, plus already in relationship face to face with God. And He was God, divine. Now, I'm stressing that because um, I, I just want us to get the eternal nature of it. In other words, He didn't become God. He didn't become a God. He was God, the eternal God. He was face-to-face with God, and He was God. See, one reason we know that is because he, in the beginning, He didn't come into being like everything else did. He already existed. And that's only true of God. God is the only being that is not made. So the Logos was existing in the beginning. He was face to face with God. He was God. And then he reiterates in verse 2, He was in the beginning with, that is face to face with God. So, the same, we're going to see in a moment, it's a person. He hasn't, it's almost like that's not, well, it's hinted at, but it's not totally revealed here in, in verse 1. It is and it isn't. Um, but he's saying he, he, was, he was in the beginning with God, he was face to face with God, and he reiterates he was with God. So the, of the same person, the Word, the Logos, he was with and he was God. Interesting, isn't it? He was with God and He was God. So on one hand, there's a distinction. He was face-to-face with God. That could be said of you and I. We're face-to-face. There's a distinction. But then on the other hand, John says, He was God. <laughs> and so there's, there's a unity that cannot be said of us. You know, I, I can't say that I'm one of you. You can't say that you're me. So there's a, a unique... Unity, full unity, and yet a distinction. Well, 
As I said, for now we'll skip over um, the verses uh, in between here and jump down to verse 14. Now I've, I've just I've just made a big point of saying that the word the logos never became he always was because he's divine, divine because he's God, and that's the stress of verse one. He is God. The word is God. Now, a couple things happen in verse 14. John, um, the Apostle John here, expounds a little more now and, and reveals the identity of the Word. Who, who the Word is. And this is going to be significant for the rest of this Gospel account. And he also uses the other verb here in reference to the word. He became. Well, that's interesting. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Lagos, the word, and the word, the Lagos became flesh. Now that's, that's the verb that he's previously used or has not used concerning the Logos. He uses it of John the baptizer. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Um, a man came to be from God whose name was John. All right? So he doesn't say that John always was. John, and, by, and by the way, these are two different Johns here. The, the author of the book is the Apostle John, brother of, uh, of um, James, son of Zebedee, um, one of the Lord's apostles. But in verse uh, 6, for example, that's referring to John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. There came to be a man, that's that same, same verb. But now he says, the Word came to be. But he's not speaking of his existence we already saw in verse 1, He always existed. But here, in verse 14, He became something specific. In other words, He always existed. The Logos has always been, but He became flesh. He hasn't always been flesh. And that's a way of saying He became a human being. The eternal Word of God, who was from eternity, face to face with God, and who was from eternity, God. <laughs> he is God who made all things, verse 3 tells us, verse 3 and 4. He's God who made all things. He became flesh. Just like you and I. Flesh and bone. He took upon Himself humanity and dwelt among us. John says we've, we've seen His glory. Now, I told you at the beginning that it appears John's got a couple of Old Testament passages in view here. Real quick, just in the minutes that we have left here, um, let me give you the other one. The other one is Exodus 33 and 34. And I want, to, I want to read just a few verses here from Exodus 33, beginning in verse 7. 
speaking of Moses, and, and, and this is after um, the Lord has given the, the law and Moses came down from the mountain to find that the children of Israel were committing idolatry and he broke the tablets and he's going back to intercede for the people. Now, it says here in verse 7, Exodus 33, verse 7, Now Moses, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. Now, visualize that and, and remember that tent. Remember that word tent in this whole picture. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord could go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people should rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent. All the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And I won't read through all of this account, but you, you read on and you find that Moses, uh, in interceding for the people, prays and says in verse 18, he prays to the Lord says, Please show me your glory. And in Exodus 34, God answers that prayer by giving Moses a glimpse of His glory and proclaiming His own goodness, His own grace, His own sovereignty. Now, what does all that have to do with John 1? Well, let's go back to verse 14. The Lord became flesh, uh, the Word rather became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. That word dwelt there is a very interesting word. It's a verb form of the word for tent. In other words, he pitched his tent, or he tabernacled, you could say it a little more woodenly, uh, literally. He tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, and we beheld his glory. Now, do you still have the vision of Moses in your head pitching his tent outside the camp? to meet with God and the glory of God descending upon the meeting place that Moses called the tent of meeting and that all the people would go to when they wanted to seek God. I don't think any of this is coincidence. I mean, John, John's got that in his brain as any Jew would when they read these words. Tabernacle. Well, immediately that word tabernacle brings up images of the Old Testament tabernacle and the Old Testament temple or even the pre-tabernacle um, tent that we were just referring to here in Exodus 33 and 34. The meeting place. The point of contact where man meets God. Where fellowship relationship takes place between God and man. Now John says, the eternal Word, the Word that was face to face with God in the beginning, the Word that was God in the beginning, the Word who created all things, 
has become flesh. That's what we call the incarnation. 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, when a baby was born, Jesus, born of a woman, yet Son of God, divinely conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Word became flesh. That is, He became a human being and tabernacled among us. And just like the people who would who would watch out of their own tent door and, and watch Moses go out to the tent of meeting and meet God, and they would see the glory of God descend upon the tent, John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the very things that God proclaimed to Moses when He hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by him and gave him kind of a backward glimpse of a reflective view of His own glory. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He pitched His tent among us, John says. And we beheld His glory full of grace and truth. Now here's what I'm suggesting. because This is what I think John is suggesting. He's saying there's a new meeting place. There's a new point of contact. It's not new in the sense of it being a new idea. Just, it's a new development. Chronologically, it's new. In fact, what we're going to see, what John goes on to make the case for is this is where God has been going the whole time. The old tent that Moses met in pictured something else. The old tabernacle that the Jews worshipped in pictured something else. Solomon's glorious temple that we're told about pictured something else. And John is saying, this is it. This is the ultimate. This is the fulfillment. This is where God Himself comes and dwells among His people. He pitches His tent among His people. Not in a tent. Not in a cloth tent made out of goat skin or something like that. But in the person of Jesus Christ. And what He's going to go on to say, what He's going to go on to record that Jesus taught is that if you want to meet with God, if you want to know God, if you want to see the glory of God, if you want to know God's grace, if you want to know God's goodness, if you want to know the truth, then you must come to Jesus Christ. He is the point of contact for man to connect with God. One more thing and we're done, and that's verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. That's, again, referring to the Word, to the Lagos, the Son. Some 
Greek text have son here, and so some of your translations will have that. The only son. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. King James says, He has declared Him. It can be translated, He has explained Him. The Greek word there is the word from which we get our word exegesis. When you, when you exegete a passage, you're trying to draw out from it the truth, you know, the meaning that is contained there. It's to explain or to expound. And John says, no one has ever seen God We don't have any first-hand witnesses who say, yep, I've, I've seen Him. I, I can tell you all about Him. I can tell you all about what He looks like. I, I mean, I, I know His favorite color. I know what He likes. I know what He dislikes. No one. No one's ever seen God, John says. The only God, that is, the Lagos, who was already in the beginning when everything else came into being, who was face to face with God, who was God, who became flesh and tabernacled among us to show us the glory of God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has explained Him. So, you see why Jesus came, why He became a man, why the eternal Logos, the eternal Son of God, took on human form and came to earth so that we might see God. So that we might know God. So that we might know what He likes, what He dislikes. What He acts like in a, in a, in a situation. What He does. And boy, we could spend a lot, and Lord willing, we will spend more time on that, but not this morning. But I'll give you some hints. Major ones. For example, He came to manifest His grace. He came to, to show the glory of God. He came to explain God by manifesting God's glory through His grace toward sinners. He came to reveal His truth. We beheld His glory, John says, full of grace and truth. That is, His glory is full of grace and truth. And this is what Jesus came to make known to us. The character of God and the will of God. And if you want to see God, if you want to know God, if you want to know His grace, experience His grace, know His love, then John said, you've got to go to the tabernacle. You've got to go to the tent. You've got to go to the meeting place it's not a geographical spot anymore. It's not a tent out in the wilderness. It's not Mount Gerizim in Samaria. It's not Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It's Jesus. You've got to go to a person. Jesus Christ, the eternal Word. He's a person who came 
so that you and I might know the truth about God. So that we might know God. That is, so that we might be in relationship with Him. Well, probably the most recognized Scripture out of all the Bible, at least one of the top two, is John 3.16. This very same book, right? This very same author. This very same story. He came. God sent His only Son. He gave His only Son so that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So here's, here's the question I'm closing with this morning. Do you know Him? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? And I'm not just talking about having some concept, you know, maybe your own concept of who Jesus kind of some, that's what we tend to do. We, we, we take what we would like God to be, what we would like Jesus to be, and then we just kind of form our own idea and put His name on it. That's, that's not going to be what John is doing in this story. He's going to be telling the truth about who the true and living God is and the truth about what He's done. And this is just the beginning. He's the eternal God who created all things, who sustains all things, and the only way of salvation. Do you know Him? Does He know you? Because there's no other point of contact between man and God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he said, no man comes to the Father but through me. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room today who does not know You in truth, we ask, Lord, to break through, make Yourself known, that He or she or whoever, however many there may be here, would cry out to You for mercy, for salvation, And Lord, grant within all of us a greater desire to know, love, and adore, and worship You. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.